How, how do you put up with him? <laughs> Let me introduce you to the Holy Spirit. That feeling that you had when we were worshiping this morning, that was the Holy Spirit. That time that you were in a dilemma, you didn't know what decision to make or which way to go, and then suddenly you just knew the right thing to do. That was the Holy Spirit. That time that uh, you were aware that something wasn't quite right, and then you realized that what you'd said to somebody was the wrong thing, and you felt compelled to go and say, I'm sorry, please forgive me. That was the Holy Spirit. Those times that you've been reading your Bible and puzzling and not understanding in spite of the best preaching that you could get in this church, which I'm sure is excellent, but you still couldn't figure it out somehow, and then suddenly you realized, that's what the Bible means. That was the Holy Spirit. See, we take the Holy Spirit for granted, don't we? We do. And yet, how critically important it is that we have a living, powerful relationship with the Holy Spirit. He is God. He's not just an extra. We understand the Father, we understand the Son, and then we refer to the Spirit as it half the time. He's God. We wouldn't know God without Him. He is our advocate, our comforter. He is the one who leads us into all truth. He convicts us of sin. He helps us every day. And he enables us, what I want to talk about this morning, to hear the voice of God. Now, I'll just give a little bit of biblical background because Raj has given me a bit of an advertisement as a Bible teacher. So, uh, when Jesus ascended into heaven after his resurrection, he, he told the disciples to wait at Jerusalem until they've been clothed with power from on high, Luke 24 and 49. And then on the 50th day after Passover, is Pentecost, is the Greek word for 50, um, just as the Jewish rabbis had expected, because they believed in between the time of the Old Testament and the time of the New Testament, there was a big period of several hundred years. And during that time, the Jewish leaders realized that the Holy Spirit had left to the measure that they had known the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, he wasn't there anymore. But they believed he would return. When he returned, he would come accompanied by two signs, fire and light. And when that happened, it would be a signal that the Messiah had come. So when Jesus hung dying on the cross, they didn't realize who he was. But when 50 days later, the Holy Spirit descended with fire and with light, that's why thousands of people suddenly became convinced that the Messiah had come. It was Jesus. The Holy Spirit had validated him. That's how important the Holy Spirit is. And so then the Holy Spirit fell with fire and light upon those 120 believers. They began to speak in unknown languages. And this was the baptism in the Holy Spirit. The word baptism in Greek, it just means to be immersed. We took a bunch of people down to uh, Georgian Bay, which is a uh, part of Lake Huron, one of the Great Lakes, last Sunday morning. 
and we immerse them. One of them was an 18-year-old lad who's, who's with me in this trip. He's not here this morning. And I said to his dad, who's a police officer, I said, should we keep him down an extra few minutes just to put the fear of God into him? And he said, that'd be a good idea. <laughs> but they were immersed. When a ship sank in the ancient world, they referred to it as being baptized. It was completely under, submerged. And so it's a... It's a it's a word, it's a figure of speech or whatever to indicate that when the Holy Spirit came, we're meant to be totally immersed in Him. Not just a little sprinkle, not just a slight touch every so often, but totally immersed in Him. And there's all sorts of phrases in the first couple chapters of Acts that mean the same thing and talk about the same thing. <coughs> Excuse me. It says they were baptized in the Spirit. It says they received power when the Holy Spirit came in them. It says they were filled with the Holy Spirit. It says God poured out His Spirit. It says they received the promise of the Spirit. It says they received the gift of the Spirit. Those are all phrases out of the first two chapters of the book of Acts, but they all mean the same thing. That's all what it's about. They talk about the fact that that new covenant in Christ, which was sealed by His blood and His resurrection and His ascension to the right hand of the Father, which we had read out to us in Scripture passages this morning, an amazing way, uh, <clears throat> where it says in Philippians, someone read it, it means it, where, when He was exalted to the highest place. It's, the, it's a Greek superlative word. It means the highest of the highest of the highest. He who became a slave and a servant and, and, and was, was uh, subjected and humiliated to the very lowest place was in an instant exalted to the highest. And He reigns from that place. That's why we believe in kingdom. We're a kingdom people. The power of God is outpoured through the reigning Christ, but it comes through the Holy Spirit. And when you get a revelation of that, you realize that nothing is impossible for the one who believes in God. Nothing. <clears throat> the fullness of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it came to them when they came to Christ. And there's been a, a certain amount of argument over the years about the nuances of uh, when people receive the Holy Spirit and so on. But uh, I want to suggest to you this morning that the sooner we receive everything that God has for us, the better. When you become a Christian, you're targeted. You've got a bullseye painted on your chest. The enemy is after you. Now, Satan is not uh, shy about using supernatural weapons that are available to him. Every gift of the Spirit has a demonic counterpart. Every one of them. The fruit of the Spirit, of course, doesn't because He can't reproduce that. So there's a word of knowledge, but there's uh, clairvoyance, fortune-telling, and so on. There's godly healing, there's ungodly healing. I was ministering to a lady in Durham four or five years ago, and and uh, and she had a, a an evil spirit, and, and I said... Uh, know that I took authority over the spirit that had come in through the maternal line, and it turned out that her mother had taken her to a uh, spiritualist healer when she was a young girl, and she'd had a miracle of demonic healing. 
but she was left with a residue of an evil spirit. See, all of that is there. There's a, a counterfeit. But when you become a Christian, you need to be clothed with power from on high. You need everything that God has for you as soon as possible. So when they went down to Samaria, Philip, the evangelist, <clears throat> of course, where there's evangelists, there's trouble in my experience, but anyway, <laughs> no doubt Adrian Holloway will be, uh, will be, uh, <laughs> well, he'll probably create trouble. <laughs> Every other one I've known has. So Philip went down there and there was trouble. There was a massive response to his ministry. We don't know exactly what was happening to some of those people. Simon the Magician, remember there was a guy called Simon the Magician. He, he responded to Philip's ministry, but then it turned out he was trying to purchase the gift of God with money. And so there's some controversy where those people really saved or not. But what we know is the apostles in Jerusalem had a fit, and they rushed down to Samaria because none of them had received the Holy Spirit. And so... Maybe they did come to Christ, and then a couple days later they received the power of the Spirit, or maybe they weren't really saved, and then they received the... I, I don't really know what happened. We can't really tell for sure, but what we do know is that the apostles felt it was out of order for someone to come to Christ and not have the power of the Holy Spirit. And this is a bone of contention with me, because back a hundred years ago, I'm not quite that old, so I wasn't there at Azusa Street in Los Angeles when the Holy Spirit was outpoured in such a powerful way. And, of course, what happened was that, <clears throat> backing up <clears throat> even a little bit further, uh, over the centuries, the church in general has grieved the Spirit. We actually began to teach in the body of Christ that the gifts of the Spirit had ceased, that they didn't exist anymore, they didn't operate anymore. That's false teaching. That's untrue. There's nothing in the Bible that indicates that. And so when we tell the Holy Spirit we don't want him, he becomes grieved, the Bible says in Ephesians, and he leaves. And he says, if you don't want the gifts of the Spirit, you don't, won't have the gifts of the Spirit. And, and so every so often God raises up a generation of people who say, I want more. There has to be more than this. And those people back in 1903, I think, in Los Angeles were crying out to God, there must be more of the Holy Spirit than this. We want a real baptism. We want an immersion. We want to know the power of God. And the Spirit of God fell on them. And they began to speak in other tongues. And that is catapulted into a worldwide revival over the period of, 100, of the last hundred years. But one of the sad points of it is... Because what was wrong in that scenario was they'd become Christians and hadn't received everything that God had wanted for them. And by the grace of God, they pressed into God until they got it. Do you understand what I'm saying? But then, unfortunately, they set that up as a theology. And then they said, well, you can have the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but you can't have it now. You have to wait for it. They called it tarrying. And see, what happened was that people got the idea that you've got to do something to get the Holy Spirit. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's not the grace of God anymore. You get the Holy Spirit surely by the grace of God. It's nothing that you ever did. <clears throat> we believe in the grace of God in this church? That's not bad. That's good. That's a good thing. The Corinthians were a bunch of losers. I wouldn't want to have been pastor of that church. Would you, Paul? Uh-uh. But let me tell you, they had every gift of the Spirit. 
The gifts of the Spirit, the power of the Spirit, don't not got anything to do with sanctification. It's justification. It's just a grace. The Spirit of God comes as a gift of grace. And that's where we have to work on people and allow the Holy Spirit to do a work of sanctification, but that's a lifelong process. But there's nothing you can do to earn the gift of God. You can't earn the power of the Holy Spirit, but somehow they set it up so that you're, you're, you know, the delay that they had, re- had had and experienced in receiving the Spirit, now everybody has to do the same thing. And I want to suggest to you that, like the early apostles, when they heard that people had come to Christ but hadn't received the power of God and the baptism, the fullness of the Holy Spirit, I want to suggest to you that God wants all of us as soon as possible, and ideally, when you first become a Christian, you should enter into that experience. And the other thing is that I don't think we should get excessively hung up on speaking in tongues, not because I don't believe in speaking in tongues. I love speaking in tongues. I was doing it a few minutes ago. But there's a lot of other gifts of the Spirit, too. And I've known lots of Christians that have spoken in tongues and have never experienced any one of the other gifts of the Spirit because they don't think they're important or that's all they've been taught about or whatever. I think there's a full package, if I could use that phrase. <coughs> and I, I want to... No, I got away, so away from my notes here. I don't know where I am. Uh, <clears throat> must be something good in here. <laughs> okay, here, I'll pick it up with this. <clears throat> Receiving the Spirit is a doorway to life lived in the Spirit. It's a doorway And I want to give a little word of testimony in a minute. Somehow we need to get people through the door, through the doorway. Maybe you're here this morning, and I hope by the time you finish, you'll know whether you're through the doorway or not. But on the other side of the doorway, there's a whole different world. Long after Pentecost, believers continued to receive many supernatural fillings with the Spirit. Not just one experience, but many. In Acts chapter 4, the building they were in was shaken. Christians like, and here's just how important the the work of the Holy Spirit is through the New Testament church. Christians like Stephen and Barnabas were described as men who are full of the Spirit. Whole churches experienced seasons of being filled anew with the Spirit, Acts 13.52. By the empowering of the Spirit, the Roman Christians were to abound in hope, Romans 15. Paul performed signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit. Again, Romans 15. The Corinthian Christians regularly received manifestations of the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12. Paul reminded the Galatians that God was in the business of supplying the Spirit to them so he could work miracles among them. Galatians 3 and 5. We're to walk by the Spirit. Galatians 5. Pray in the Spirit. Ephesians 6. Fulfill the law by the Spirit. Romans 8. We're a dwelling place for the Spirit. Ephesians 2. We're sanctified by the Spirit. 2 Thessalonians 2. John was caught up in the Spirit over and over again. Revelation 1, 4, 17, and 21. I've just finished a commentary on it. God willing, be out next year. As he received... That was a little advertisement. As he received a magnificent series of visions in the Spirit of God carrying a suffering church through the desert and into the promised land. In the end, the whole Christian life, in one sense at least, boils down to one thing, 
Ephesians 5 and 18, being continually refilled with the Spirit. The Greek tense means over and over and over again, be filled with the Spirit. The last time you were filled with the Spirit isn't good enough for the next time. You need manna for tomorrow and the next day and the next day. We're a people who believe, I hope, in the fullness of the Spirit and in His power. And so practically, pastorally, for all of us, when somebody comes to faith in Christ, we ought to pray for them to enter into a supernatural experience in the Holy Spirit. When we encounter a Christian who's never experienced the power of the Spirit like that, we should pray for them too, believing that they can catch up, make God can make up for lost time in their lives, because we need to get them through that doorway as well. Receiving the Spirit is a doorway into the supernatural, a doorway into a whole new way of life. We don't want to miss out. Do you want to miss out on something God's doing? You know, you, you hear about it's exciting thing happening down the road when I was a kid. You know, I, I heard about something that the other kids were doing down the road and, and I missed it. Darn, I, I want to get out there. I want to find out what's happening. I want to be part of it. If I was Raj, I'd be looking for the tr- nearest trouble I could get into. He's a bit of a troublemaker, isn't he? <laughs> it, well, so am I. If there's action, that's where we want to be, isn't it? <laughs> Yeah, we do it together. We're even got matching shirts. Do you notice that? <laughs> Some people, trouble is multiplied when they associate together. That can be a good thing. Well, when I was a young Christian, uh, somehow I, you know, I was in one of those churches where we didn't really believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit and. I uh, somehow developed this attitude that uh, that was opposed to the work of the Holy Spirit, and it was a problem for me. I couldn't figure out speaking in tongues. I was studying languages at university. It was hard enough for me to try to pick up languages, and I, I just couldn't see how you could start speaking a new language without ever having studied it. And so, uh, one day, uh, I led a young man to Christ. His name was Jamie. And uh, he, was a, he had a lot of drug problems. And so, as the days went by, it became apparent that um, he really was in a deep hole. And in spite of the fact he made a commitment to Christ, he kept coming back to me and actually was suicidal. He would come to my door and say, uh, I just am going to commit suicide tonight. And uh, I became more and more desperate. I had a sense of responsibility. I was, I was just a university student. I didn't know what to do. Um, but I had read a book that had just come out two or three years before, and it was called The Cross and the Switchblade by a man called David Wilkerson. And it told the story of how in New York City he had dealt with all these drug addicts. And I remember there was a part about... Uh, <laughs> gifts of the Spirit and stuff in it, but um, I, I, I thought, well, that's what this guy needs. He needs somebody. I didn't, I wasn't a drug addict. I, I didn't understand how to deal with that kind of thing. And so I began to ask around, and I found out that uh, there was a guy who had been a drug addict who had become a Christian, and uh, I was given his name, and I contacted him, and I said, would you be willing to see this friend of mine 
and I thought maybe this guy can help him. So off we went to this place, and he was studying at a, a college which was run by the Anglican Church, which I thought it was incredible that, you know, that, well, anyway, I won't go there, but <laughs> that's what it was. It was called the, the Anglican Church Army. And, uh, and so um, we sat with this fellow called Mark, and myself and Jamie, we sat there, and Mark gave his testimony, and uh, at the end of his testimony, he said to Jamie, now I'm going to pray for you, Jamie. And uh, I thought, well, that was fine. And he says, and when I pray for you, God is going to fill you with his spirit, and you're going to speak in other tongues. And I thought, whoa, wait a minute, that's a little, I don't sign up for that. <laughs> but it was too late. <laughs> because he was already laying hands on him, and I'd never seen that before, and praying for him. And the worst thing was he did speak in tongues. <laughs> well, actually, that wasn't the worst thing. The worst thing w w was what came next. He looked at me. He said, now, Dave, how about you? <laughs> and do you know what went through my mind? Well, I can still remember it. It was, that's for these drug addicts. I, I don't know why God didn't strike me down. But I thought that was... This, this stuff, it's to help these drug addicts and, and lowlifes and people that, you know, are in a terrible mess. But I don't need that. And so uh, I got out of there as quick as I could, and I thought, oh, <laughs> I, I alone escaped to tell thee, as the Scripture says. You know. <laughs> and the problem was that I couldn't shake this feeling I had that something was wrong and that... Much as I tried to rationalize away my own feeling, my, my own theology. And so after about a week, it got bad enough that I made an appointment myself to go back and see this guy. But I was so prideful that it took me 45 minutes of talking round and round and round the bush. And at the end of, and I still couldn't bring myself to say, would you pray for me? I could not bring myself to say it. And so Mark turned eventually and said to me, are you really saying you'd like me to pray for you? And I said, yes. <laughs> and so he did. And uh, absolutely nothing happened. Zip, zero, nothing. So I walked away and I thought, well, I've given this thing a chance. I've now humbled myself, which I hadn't really, but anyway. And that's it. Well, the next day I was more miserable than ever. It got so bad that I, I was living in Toronto at the University there. I got on a, a bus and I went three or four hours drive away to, to where my parents were living just to get out of it because it was torturing me by this point. And my dad met me at the door, uh, met me at the bus and said, oh, he said, um, one of the uh, other staff members, my dad was a, a taught auto shop in the school there. He said, one of the other staff members, he goes to the Pentecostal church and he's just given me this amazing book called Nine O'Clock in the Morning. About, it was all about the beginning of the charismatic movement, how people can speak in tongues and receive the Holy Spirit. I thought, oh no, I cannot escape. So eventually I went back again, back to the well again for the third time. Same guy, Mark. And... Uh, I eventually became his best man. We became good friends. But, uh, and this time, he had another man with him, an older man with him, who was speaking at this place, this college. And uh, 
I, I, I think what had happened was he must have said to the guy, this is a real hard one. <laughs> you know, we need to bring in some bigger firepower. So this, this older man prayed for me with great authority. We were up on the third floor of this building in a chapel. And uh, he said, now, David, he said, you can speak in tongues anytime you want. And he left, just left. I thought, well, thank you very much. And I felt nothing, not a thing. I was totally downcast. And my friend Mark turned to me and he said, God has blessed you tonight. And, and I thought to myself, now I know he's crazy because I'm so disappointed. After all of this, it's still nothing. I feel nothing. I can't speak in tongues. I can't do anything. And I don't know what I'm going to do. And so I thought I misheard him. I thought he'd said God had blessed him. So I said, oh, the Lord blessed you, did he? And he said, no, he blessed you. And I said, how do you, how do you know that? And he said, because I just touched you. That's what he said. I just touched you. Now I thought, but I was in way too deep by now. I thought, I don't know anything anymore. I turned around and I found myself on the floor. This was oh, 20 years before anything happened at Toronto Airport or anywhere else. And in my experience, I was down on the floor and I couldn't get up. And I'm crawling across the floor and I can't get up. And I crawled down three flights of stairs. And he walked down the stairs, not, not lifting a finger to help me, laughing. I got to the bottom of the stairs. I walked across all these meeting rooms and I can remember there was a pile of old wooden stacking chairs in, in, uh, against the wall. I somehow hauled myself up. And he, he put, it was the middle of February, it was very cold out. He put my coat on me. He pushed me out the door and he said, phone me tomorrow and tell me what's happened. <laughs> I went out the door on Brunswick Avenue in Toronto. I walked down just, uh, you know, a couple hundred feet or whatever, and got to the first road. And I remember coming up to the curb and stepping into the roadway and feeling that someone was, was picking me and holding me by the scruff of the neck and pushing me along. And I knew it was now or never. All my rationality, all my thinking that had warred against and prevented me and my pride, that, that all had to go. And I somehow just had to start speaking and trust that God was going to do something. And I was so, just so desperate. I started speaking, opened my mouth, and by the time I got to the other side of the road, I was speaking in a language that I had never known or heard before. And I, I wandered around the downtown Toronto, Queen's Park, the, where the Parliament buildings of Ontario are, till three o'clock in the morning, drunk in the spirit, speaking in tongues. Amazing, I wasn't arrested. <laughs> My life changed that night. I went through the door. Over the next couple of weeks, four times, I knew things were going to happen before they happened. 
Every time it involved meeting somebody that lived in another city that I hadn't seen for a long time, that I had no expectation of meeting. And every one of those four times, that encounter, when I met that person, uh, ended in me laying hands on them, praying for them to be filled with the Spirit, and them speaking in tongues. And after four times, like Samuel, I realized it was the Lord speaking to me. My life was radically changed. I began to hear the voice of God. I came to England, to Durham, to do postgraduate studies. And uh, before we started the church there, one day uh, I was asked to go and take a student retreat. And they were students from Newcastle University uh, from a certain denomination I won't mention. When I got to this retreat, uh, it was the topic I was given was the doctrine of the Trinity. on my topic that was theirs. And I quickly became apparent to me that half of these young people weren't even born again. And the ones that were born again were very antagonistic. They were like I had been. They were very antagonistic to the Holy Spirit. And that we got through the Father and the Son, and that was all right. But when we got to the Holy Spirit, the fat hit the fire. I'm telling you, you could feel the hostility in the room. And I went away and I prayed. And I said, what am I going to do, Lord? And I felt because I could hear the voice of God, right? You can hear the voice of God. Everybody can hear the voice of God. You don't have to be somebody to be qualified. All you have to know is that you're nothing. Now, let me tell you, God can do a lot with a little, but he can do everything with nothing. And you're nothing. This is, this is not a seeker-sensitive message. You're a bunch of nobodies. That's what you are. That's what qualifies you to be used powerfully in the Holy Ghost. Come on now. So, where was I? <clears throat> yeah, remember where I was. <laughs> oh, yeah. So I got down, and I, the Lord spoke to me and said, just offer to pray with anyone who would like to be, but say anyone else that wants to leave can just leave. So I thought, okay. So I finished the last message on the weekend, and I said, now... I'd like to offer to pray for anyone to receive the power of the Holy Spirit, but anyone that wants to leave is free to go right now. And there was about 30 young people there. 27 of them stampeded for the door. They were gone. That was not church growth. (laughs) That was the opposite. Three people were left. I quickly prayed for number one, number two, number three. I packed my bags and I fled. Total failure, in my opinion. A couple of years went past, and one of these young men that had been there at that retreat uh, came, came up to me at a meeting somewhere, I can't remember where, and he said, I was, I was uh, at that student retreat two years ago, and my heart kind of sank, and I said, oh, I'm so sorry, I, I really feel that I, I made a mess of it, I, I just, it just wasn't a success. I felt badly about it ever since. He said, what do you mean? He said, don't you remember praying for three people at the end? And I said, well, I remember 27 left. (laughs) And he said, well, I was one of the ones you prayed for, and you laid hands on me. The power of God came in me. I was filled with the Holy Spirit. It totally changed my life. 
That young man's name was Ian Galloway. He planted a church in Newcastle out of all of that. And he, he said to me, the, the second person you prayed for, they were safe when you prayed for them. He said the third was a girl, and she, when you laid hands on her, she received a call to the mission field in Turkey, and she's just about to leave. Matter of fact, a couple of years ago, I was talking to Ian, and that girl's still there, 35 years later. You hear, you hear the voice of God. I, I love the supernatural. I love it. I was there because I love the Holy Spirit. I, I was there in 1970-something in an old hockey arena in the south side of Chicago. There was 16,000 people in a 10,000-seat arena. And Catherine Kuhlman was there. And I saw the rows of wheelchairs empty. I could cry. I'll cry if I talk about it. That was a long time ago. I was there in Toronto. My friend John Arnott had this little church at the end of the runway. I was there when the Holy Spirit fell. I remember praying <clears throat> one night, what? In one year, over one million people went through his church door. It was the biggest tourist attraction in the city of Toronto. <clears throat> I remember praying one night for a, a man and God began to reveal supernaturally all sorts of stuff about this guy. He worked for the CIA. Come on now. <laughs> President Obama may be listening to your emails and phone calls, but we have access to more accurate information than the President of the United States. <laughs> it's only because we're a bunch of nobodies. And I, as a matter of fact, uh, where will I go with this? <laughs> Somewhere. I'll say something about Ian's church in a minute that's up to date. Because, you know, if you're not up to date in your walk with God, you're not nowhere. Well, anyway, um, hearing the voice of God makes all the difference. I met a young guy at the gym and try, was trying to witness to him, and I got him to the point where he would come uh, and ha where he agreed to come and have lunch with me. So we were sitting in the restaurant having lunch, and I'm, you know, giving out my best evangelistic endeavor. And he's got this New Age book he pulls out of a, uh, a backpack, and he's you know, it's like I'm getting nowhere. It's, oh, yeah, that's great about Jesus, but what about this and this and this and this? And finally, I got frustrated. And I reached out and did what I should have done at the beginning and listened. And I looked at him. And I said, you know what? And I called him by name. And I said, your mother and your maternal grandmother have the ability to foretell the future, don't they? And he looked at me like I... I'd slapped him in the face. He said, how'd you know that? Ah, now I had his attention. So he left the place with one of Tim Keller's books, The Reason for God, instead of his New Age crap. Forgive the terminology. Because I'd won a prophetic bet. <clears throat> As we can hear. Do you understand what I'm saying? Makes all the difference. 
A couple months ago, I was in City Church, and uh, I was doing a meeting. There was about 100 people there in the evening. And I can't remember. They wanted me to talk about <clears throat> signs and wonders of the miraculous or something. And, uh, and I felt God say, everybody's to pray for everybody else. You know how in meetings you come up at the end and whoever the preacher, the visiting dignitary or whatever, which in, in, in this case is me, is about as good as it gets this morning. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> Winds up praying for people and nobody else does anything. They just sit in their backside and watch. So I said, no, everybody here has to pray for somebody. Everybody. Matter of fact, I think I said, lock the doors. <laughs> no is allowed out until they do that. So, of course, when everybody prays for somebody, guess what happens? Everybody gets prayed for. So then we just did that. And there was all sorts of stuff happening. Of course, And I was praying for some people too. And then all of a sudden there's pandemonium going on. And this guy, young man, student, in the university had injured his shoulder doing break dancing in the youth group. <laughs> it's pretty wild up there in the tune. <laughs> and he was doing handstands at the back of the meeting. He was instantly healed when somebody prayed for him. And then the next night, uh, the next night there was a meeting with uh, the sort of 20s, and I was talking about how God wants us to take the gifts of the Spirit and use them out in, in the world, because 75% uh, statistically of the occurrences of the gifts of the Spirit in the New Testament are in evangelism. We read 1 Corinthians 12, and we think it's all about in here, but it's actually mostly about out there. So I was talking about that, and in the process of which I said... Sometimes I say things and I think, who said that? <laughs> it's me. And uh, I said, like the time I was in Michigan in a church there, and I walked up to this perfectly healthy young couple who had come forward at the invitation, and I said these words. I said, I curse the spirit of barrenness. I thought, what the heck did I just say? And immediately both of them began to sob. I didn't know. She'd lost a baby at full term. I didn't know she then had a miscarriage. I didn't know she'd had a history of abortion and fell under the judgment of God because of it. There we, she's weeping. Her husband's weeping. Everybody around them weeping. And I'm finding myself down on my knees yelling into her womb. Good thing a doctor wasn't there. <laughs> and I'm yelling, life, 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 life. It was, it was incredible. So I was back in that church nine months, eight or nine months later, and I was at a barbecue. Matter of fact, it's kind of funny. It wasn't funny, but it was. Uh, I was at a barbecue with a, a bunch of the men in the church, and the pastor used to be a butcher, and he had all his knives hanging like this, the big barbecue out there. And the ladies were all in the house, and... Uh, all of a sudden, the, the door, it was a, on a farm, and the door of this farm shed opened, and this lady, enormously pregnant lady like this, walked through the door, and all the men and leader, elders of the church are gathered there with the barbecue, the, el, the pastor with all the knives, right? You've got that picture. And she says, Dave Campbell. And she does this, and she said, you did this to me. That's what she said. <laughs> 
And I looked at the pastor and those knives. <laughs> and I thought, I'm the next thing on this barbecue. <laughs> that was the lady that I prayed for. <laughs> that little boy, Cooper, I've got his, his picture on my desk at home. Nothing is impossible for God. But we just got to listen. So back to Newcastle, I was there talking about the gifts of the Spirit and out on the street. And I made this statement. I said, it's easy to move in the gifts of the Spirit in church. And I, all of a sudden, my arm went out like this. And I thought, that's odd. And I knew I had to prophesy over whoever I was pointing at. And... Uh, I said to this young man in the front row, I said, because of the suffering you've been through, God is using that. He's brought great compassion in your heart, and he's given you a gift of healing. And I said, as a matter of fact, anyone that's sick and needs healing, he's going to pray for you at the end of the meeting. I love throwing people into it. It's just like because of your humility, God is going to clothe you with government, says the Lord. Is that all right? God will clothe you with government. That's, that's what I feel. And so, anyway, I create trouble and then I leave. <laughs> My car is parked out the front with the ignition running. <laughs> so, <clears throat> at the end of the meeting, there was a young man in the church. He was the best footballer on the church team. And he'd wrecked his knee. He couldn't bend it. He was in pain. He went up, and this other young man prayed for him, and he was instantly healed. The next Sunday, I was over in uh, Darlington, and un- unbeknownst to me, a gentleman who was well-known well in the world of football was sitting in the second or third row, and I was able to tell the story about how this lad, who was the best footballer you know, on the, the church team in Newcastle, had been instantly healed. See, we, it just comes down to hearing the voice of God. That's all. And... You can be sitting here this morning thinking, well, that's all right for him, but what about me? But you see, that's where I started out. Somebody else can have that experience, but not me. And at first I didn't want that, but then I desperately wanted it, and I, 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 I thought, why has he got that, but not me? And I came to a place of desperation where I couldn't believe that God would do that for me. So I want to encourage you this morning... I'm happy to pray for anyone that, you know, and I know there's others here that will be happy to pray for you as well. If you haven't walked through that doorway, now's the time to do it. Maybe you don't even know Jesus Christ. You can walk through that doorway this morning. Maybe you are frustrated. You feel, you know, I see God using other people but not me. You believe the lie. That's your problem. There's another seeker-sensitive comment. You've just been stupid. You believed a lie of the enemy. Well, that's his constant mandate, to lie to you, to tell you that you're nothing, to tell you that you can't hear the voice of God, to tell you that the person, you know, in the next row can, but you can't. That's a lie. This is for all of us. Do you want to stand together with me? And, Paul, I don't know how to finish this, but I'd certainly like to be available to pray for any of you. Maybe a musician comes to the front or something. Others will come. Let, let me just pray, and then I'm going to give it to, back to Paul. Now, Father, thank you for your precious Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, you are here. Your presence is here. It's not wrong to say, I feel 
the presence of the Holy Spirit. As we, we know that you are here with us. And I ask, Holy Spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, that you would release your authority and power now. Break the lie of the enemy that says, I'm not important or significant enough for God to, to be able to hear God's voice or for God to use me. Lord, you need each of us in our neighborhood, in our street, in our place of work, in our college, our school, where the only representative may be that you got there. It's, no, it's not good enough for the elders of the church to hear the voice of God. It's the person that's out there on the street that has to hear the voice of God. If anybody is going to be reached, oh, Holy Spirit, please come. Thank you that we don't have to shake, rattle, and roll. We don't have to turn ourselves upside down. We don't have to try to be better. We don't have to do anything. We just have to say, I am a nobody and a nothing, and I've messed up, and I need you, Holy Spirit. And that's how we come to you today. Lord, thank you for these dear brothers and sisters here. And I ask, Lord, that you'd release your power upon them today and tomorrow and the next day and the next day to the glory of your wonderful name. Just feel right there. There's a number of people who think I, I need to step through that door. There's others of you who say, well, I did step 